Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hi, and welcome back to this Book of Mormon podcast. This is going to be for Moroni chapter 10. So this is the final chapter in the Book of Mormon. Aren't you excited? So I'm going to read the whole thing on this one again because it covers, uh, it's got a lot of great information. Every verse is worth uh, reading. So verse 1, now I, Moroni, write somewhat as seemeth me good. Now, so Moroni is saying, is saying goodbye to us for the third time. This is his last chance to say one more thing to us. And I write unto my brethren the Lamanites, and I would that they should know that more than 420 years have passed away since the sign was given of the coming of Christ. And I seal up these records after I have spoken a few words by way of exhortation unto you. Behold, I would exhort you that when ye shall read these things, if it be wisdom in God that ye should read them, that ye would remember how merciful the Lord has been unto the children of men from the creation of Adam, meaning in the Bible, even down until the time that ye shall receive these things, meaning the Book of Mormon, and ponder it in your hearts. Elder Maxwell said, Pondering for most of us is not something we do easily. It is much more than drifting or daydreaming. For us it focuses and stirs us, not lulls us. We must set aside time and circumstances and attitude in order to achieve it. In Alma's words, we must give place. The length of time involved in pondering is not as important as the intensity given to it. Reflection cannot be achieved in the midst of distraction. Now verse 4 is the one that we all uh, have read and probably most of us memorized too. And when you shall receive these things, meaning the Book of Mormon, I would exhort you that you would, you would ask God, the Eternal Father, in the name of Christ, if these things are not true. And if ye shall ask with a sincere heart, with real intent, in other words, to act upon the truth we know, having faith in Christ, he will manifest the truth of it unto you by the power of the Holy Ghost. Elder McConkie said, Now I am one who knows by the power of the Spirit that this book is true, and as a consequence, I also know both by reason and by revelation from the Spirit of the truth and divinity of all the great spiritual verities of this dispensation. For instance, I know that the Father and the Son appeared to Joseph Smith because the Book of Mormon is true. I know that the gospel has been restored and that God has established his church again on the earth because the Book of Mormon is true. I know that Joseph Smith is a prophet, that he communed with God, entertained angels, received revelations, saw visions, and has gone on to eternal glory, because the Book of Mormon is true. I know that the Bible is the Word of God, as far as it is translated correctly, because the Book of Mormon is true. I know that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the kingdom of God on earth, the one kingdom with legal administrators who can seal men up unto eternal life, because the Book of Mormon is true. To my testimony of the Book of Mormon, I add that of the Lord God himself, who said Joseph Smith, has translated the book, and as your Lord and your God liveth, it is true. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. That was Bruce R. McConkie's talk uh, given in 1968. Joseph Smith said, <clears throat> Search the scriptures and ask your Heavenly Father in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, to manifest the truth unto you, and if you do it with an eye single to his glory, nothing doubting, he will answer you by the power of his Holy Spirit. You will then know for yourselves and not for another. You will not then be dependent on man for the knowledge of God, nor will there be any room for speculation. 
Verse 5, and by the power of the Holy Ghost, ye may know the truth of all things. And what may be one of the finest explanations of the place of pondering in this process? Elder McConkie explained to the church, may I be so bold as to propose a test and issue a challenge. It is hoped that all who take this test will have a knowledge of the Holy Bible, because the more people know about the Bible, the greater their appreciation will be of the Book of Mormon. This test is for saint and sinner alike. It is for Jew and Gentile, for bond and free, for black and white, for all of our Father's children. We have all been commanded to search the scriptures, to treasure up the Lord's word, to live by every word that proceedeth forth from the mouth of God. This, then, is the test. <clears throat> Let every person make a list of from 100 to 200 doctrinal subjects, making a conscious effort to cover the whole field of gospel knowledge. I think if you read Mormon Doctrine, you'd probably come up with more than 200. The number of subjects chosen will depend on personal inclination and upon how broad the spectrum will be under each subject. Then, write each subject on a blank piece of paper. Divide the paper into two columns. At the top of one, write Book of Mormon, and at the top of the other, Bible. Then start with the first verse and phrase of the Book of Mormon, and continuing verse by verse, and thought by thought, Put the substance of each verse under its proper heading. Find the same doctrine in the Old and New Testaments and place it in the parallel columns. Ponder the truths you learn, and it will not be long before you know that Lehi and Jacob excel Paul in teaching the atonement, that Alma's sermons on faith and on being born again surpass anything in the Bible, that Nephi makes a better exposition of the scattering and gathering of Israel than do Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel combined, that Mormon's words about faith, hope, and charity have a clarity and breadth, a power of expression that even Paul did not attain, and so on and so on. There is another and simpler test that all who seek to know the truth might well take. It calls for us simply to read, ponder, and pray, all in the spirit of faith and with an open mind. To keep ourselves alert to the issues at hand, as we do read, ponder, and pray, we should ask ourselves a thousand times, could any man have written this book? And it is absolutely guaranteed that sometime between the first and thousandth time this question is asked, every sincere and genuine truth seeker will come to know by the power of the Spirit that the Book of Mormon is true, that it is the mind and will and voice of the Lord to the whole world in our day. <clears throat> Verse 6, And whatsoever thing is good is just and true. Wherefore, nothing that is good denieth the Christ, but acknowledgeth that he is. And ye may know that he is by the power of the Holy Ghost. Wherefore, I would exhort you that ye deny not the power of God, for he worketh by power according to the faith of the children of men, the same today and tomorrow and forever. Daniel Ludlow said, To understand the promise found in Mormon, or Moroni 10, 4, a person should read and ponder the verses immediately before and after. In the first edition of the Book of Mormon, Moroni chapter 10 was all written as one paragraph. Let us examine carefully and individually verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> Verse 1, Now I, Moroni, write somewhat as seemeth me good, and I write unto my brethren the Lamanites, and I would that they should know that more than 420 years have passed away since the sign was given of the coming of Christ. Although Moroni is addressing himself specifically to the Lamanites, these words, as well as all of the words of the Book of Mormon, apply also to the Jews and the Gentiles. Brother Ludlow says of verse 3, he says, Too frequently this verse is not quoted in connection with verse 4, and when quoted is often misinterpreted. However, it is a key, to, it is a key verse to understanding the full promise of Moroni 10, 1-5. When analyzed thoroughly, this verse indicates that the honest seeker after truth must do two things. One, read the Book of Mormon. The words these things in verse 3 refer back to. The words these records in verse 2. 
the records from which our present Book of Mormon was translated, and two, ponder the dealings of God with men as recorded in the Book of Mormon, and then compare them with the dealings of God with men as recorded in the Bible. Although the word Bible is not found in this verse, Moroni indicates that the person should remember how merciful the Lord hath been unto the children of men from the creation of Adam, even down unto the present time, that ye shall receive these things. The Bible provides a story of the creation and the history of events from that time forward. However, the account of the creation and subsequent happenings are not contained in the Book of Mormon. In fact, Moroni had earlier acknowledged that the Book of Ether, or the Book of Mormon, would not include this information. In explaining his abridgment of the Book of Ether, Moroni wrote, And now I, Moroni, take mine account from the twenty and four plates which were found by the people of Limhi, which is called the Book of Ether. And as I suppose that the first part of this record, which speaks concerning the creation of the world and also of Adam in an account from that time, even to the great tower and whatsoever things transpired among the children of men until that time is had among the Jews. Therefore, I do not write these things. Thus, if a sincere person hasn't gained a testimony of the Book of Mormon after reading it, he should, as Moroni seems to suggest here, read the Bible as well, pondering in his heart both scriptural accounts of God's dealing with his children so that's an interesting uh, take on verse 3, so that if we don't understand or believe the Book of Mormon to be true, then to start reading the Bible, and then we'll get a better understanding of it. And then notice in verse 4 what uh, Brother Ludlow says. He says, note that the word read is not even included in this verse. Rather, the verb is receive. In other words, after the person has read the Book of Mormon and pondered the dealings of God with the peoples of the Book of Mormon in the Bible, he must then put himself in a frame of mind where he would be willing to receive or accept all these things. Then he must ask with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in Christ. In other words, sincere pondering of the scriptures helps put a person in an appropriate frame of mind to ask for and receive divine guidance. The things we should be in a position to receive or accept may refer not only to the Book of Mormon, but also to everything mentioned in verses 2 and 3. Similarly, the word it, near the end of verse 4, he will manifest the truth of it unto you, may refer to the process of God's dealing with men, along with referring to the Book of Mormon itself. In either case, if a person receives the truth of it, he will believe in and accept the Book of Mormon. And then verse 5 <clears throat> he says, this verse indicates that the principles contained in the formula for learning truth as explained in verses 1 through 4 can also be applied to areas other than learning the truth of the Book of Mormon. As to whether this promise is Moroni's or the Lord's, uh, Doctrine and Covenants 80, uh, 68 verse 4 reads, And whatsoever they, the Lord's chosen servants, shall speak when moved upon by the Holy Ghost shall be scripture shall be the will of the Lord, shall be the mind of the Lord, shall be the word of the Lord, shall be the voice of the Lord, and the power of God unto salvation. So when Moroni speaks or writes by the power of the Holy Ghost, his writings represent the will, mind, word, and voice of the Lord. Thus, it is appropriate to say this promise comes from the Lord through the writings of Moroni. When a person follows this divine formula, the results are certain. He will gain a testimony of the Book of Mormon. God cannot and does not lie, and his promises made through his prophets are sure. Therefore, any person who claims to have followed the various requirements but says he has not gained a testimony should check to see which step he has not followed faithfully or completely. He should read and ponder the Book of Mormon, all of it. He should remember the methods of God. He should re remember the methods God has used in working with the peoples of both the Book of Mormon and the Bible and ponder these things in his heart. Three, he should put himself in a frame of mind where he would be willing to accept or receive all of these things the Book of Mormon, the Bible, and the way God works with men. And four, with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in Christ, he should ask God 
the eternal Father in the name of Jesus Christ if these things are not true. And then five, he should be able to recognize the promptings and feelings which will be evidences to him of the truth of these things, including the Book of Mormon, as they are made manifest unto him by the power of the Holy Ghost. So if you've been trying to get a testimony of the Book of Mormon and you haven't gotten one yet, check your steps. Maybe you need to check them again. Verse 8. And again I exhort you, my brethren, that ye deny not the gifts of God, for they are many, and they come from the same God, and there are different ways that these gifts are administered. But it is the same God who worketh all in all, and they are given by the manifestations of the Spirit of God unto men to profit them. For behold, to one is given by the Spirit of God that he may teach the word of wisdom, and to another that he may teach the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, and to another exceedingly great faith, and to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. And again to another, that he may work mighty miracles. And again to another, that he may prophesy concerning all things. And again to another, the beholding of angels and ministering spirits. If a man has power to part the veil and converse with angels and with the ministering spirits who dwell in the realms of light, surely this is a gift of the Spirit. Also, how can anyone discern between the Spirit sent of God and the evil spirits that do, that, that do the devil's bidding except by revelation? Among us there are those so endowed. And that was by Elder McConkie. Verse 15, and again to another all kinds of tongues, and again to another the interpretation of languages and of diverse kinds of tongues. And all these gifts come by the Spirit of Christ, and they come unto every man severally according as he will. We are counseled in modern revelation to seek earnestly all after the best gifts, and section 46 talks about that a little bit. Um, beware lest ye be deceived, and that ye may not be deceived, seek ye earnestly the best gifts, always remembering for what they are given, meaning to plead with God in prayer for the gifts of the Spirit, both to avoid deception and to enjoy the sweet fruits of gospel living. And that was by, uh, or I'm sorry, George Q. Cannon scolded the Latter-day Saints for their complacency in this regard. He said, we find that even among those who have embraced the gospel, hearts of unbelief. How many of you, my brethren and sisters, are seeking for these gifts that God has promised to bestow? How many of you, when you bow before your Heavenly Father in your family circle or in your secret places, contend for these gifts to be bestowed upon you? How many of you ask the Father in the name of Jesus to manifest himself to you through these powers and these gifts? Or do you go along day by day like a door turning on its hinges without having any feeling on the subject, without exercising any faith whatever, content to be baptized and be members of the church, and to rest there thinking that your salvation is secure because you have done this? I say to you in the name of the Lord, as one of his servants, that you have need to repent of this. For you you, you have need to repent of your, of your hardness of heart, of your indifference, and of your carelessness. There is not that diligence... There is not that faith, there is not that seeking for the power of God that there should be among a people who have received the precious promises we have. I say to you that it is our duty to avail ourselves of the privileges which God has placed within our reach. I feel to bear testimony to you, my brothers and sisters, that God is the same today as he was yesterday, that God is willing to bestow these gifts upon his children. If any of us are imperfect, it is our duty to pray for the gift that will make us perfect. Have I imperfections? I am full of them. What is my duty? To pray to God to give me the gifts that will correct these imperfections. If I am an angry man, it is my duty to pray for charity, which suffereth long and is kind. Am I an envious man? It is my duty to seek for charity, which envieth not. So with all the gifts of the gospel, they are intended for this purpose. No man ought to say, oh, I cannot help this. It is my nature. He is not justified in it for the reason that God has promised to give strength to correct these things and to give gifts that will eradicate them. If a man lack wisdom, it is his duty to ask God for wisdom. The same with everything else. 
That is the design of God concerning his church. He wants his saints to be perfected in the truth. For this purpose, he gives them gifts and bestows them upon those who seek after them in order that they may be a perfect people upon the face of the earth, notwithstanding their many weaknesses, because God has promised to give the gifts that are necessary for their perfection. Verse 18, And I would exhort you, my beloved brethren, that ye remember that every good gift cometh of Christ. By the grace of God, following devotion, faith, and obedience on man's part, certain special spiritual blessings, called gifts of the Spirit, are bestowed upon men. Their receipt is always predicated upon obedience to law, but because they are freely available to all the obedient, they are called gifts. They are signs and miracles reserved for the faithful and for none else. Moroni says that the gifts of God come from Christ by the power of the Holy Ghost and by the Spirit of Christ. In other words, the gifts come by the power of that Spirit, who is the Holy Ghost, but the Spirit of Christ, or Light of Christ, is the agency through which the Holy Ghost operates. Their purpose is to enlighten, encourage, and edify the faithful so that they will inherit peace in this life and be guided toward eternal life in the world to come. Their presence is proof of the divinity of the Lord's work. Where they are not found, there the church and kingdom of God is not. The promise is that they shall never be done away as long as the earth continues in its present state, except for unbelief. But when the perfect day comes and the saints obtain exaltation, there will be no more need for them, as Paul expressed it, when that day which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Faithful persons are expected to seek the gifts of the Spirit with all their hearts. They, they are not, I mean, they are to covet earnestly the best gifts, to desire spiritual gifts, to ask of God who giveth liberally. To some will be given one, and to others another, and until some of, until unto some it may be given to have all those gifts, that there may be a, a head in order that every member may be profited thereby. It's interesting to note that uh, the fact that this information about gifts of the Spirit is included in three separate sets of scriptures ought to make it a, make us aware of how important these principles are. Verse 19, and I would, I would exhort you, my beloved brethren, that you remember that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that all these gifts of which I have spoken, which are spiritual, never will be done away, even as long as the world shall stand only according to the unbelief of the children of men. Wherefore, there must be faith. If there must be faith, there must also be hope, and if there must be hope, there must also be charity. And except ye have charity, ye can in no wise be saved in the kingdom of God. Neither can ye be saved in the kingdom of God if ye have not faith, neither can ye if ye have no hope. And if ye have no hope, ye must needs be in despair, and despair cometh because of iniquity. In other words, living a righteous life brings hope. Let us here observe that three things are necessary in order that any rational and intelligent being may exercise faith in God unto life and salvation. First, the idea that he actually exists. Second, a correct idea of his character, perfections, and attributes. Thirdly, an actual knowledge that the course of life which he is pursuing is according to his will. For without an acquaintance with these three important facts, the faith of every rational being must be imperfect and unproductive. But with this understanding, it can become perfect and fruitful, abounding in righteousness unto the praise and glory of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was by Joseph Smith in the Lectures on Faith. Verse 23, And Christ truly said, of his, said unto our fathers, If ye have faith, ye can do all things which are expedient unto me. And now I speak unto all the ends of the earth, that if the day cometh that the power and gifts of God shall be done away among you, it shall be because of iniquity. And woe be unto the children of men if this be the case, for there shall be none that doeth good among you, no, not one. For if there be one among you that doeth good, he shall work by the power and gifts of God. And woe unto them who shall do these, thing, do these things away and die. 
for they die in their sins, and they cannot be saved in the kingdom of God. And I speak it according to the words of Christ, and I lie not. And I exhort you to remember these things, for the time speedily cometh, that ye shall know that I lie not. For ye shall see me at the bar of God, and the, and the Lord God will say unto you, Did I not declare my words unto you, which were written by this man, like as one crying from the dead, yea, even as one speaking out of the dust? Those are Isaiah words, aren't they? I declare these things unto the fulfilling of the prophecies, and behold, they shall proceed forth out of the mouth of the everlasting God, and his word shall hiss, or a signal whistle. When the Book of Mormon comes forth, this is the call for Israel to gather. Uh, shall hiss forth from generation to generation, and God shall show unto you that that which I have written is true. God will testify that the Book of Mormon is true. He has done that. Verse 30, And again I would exhort you that ye would come unto Christ and lay hold upon every good gift, and touch not the evil gift, nor the unclean thing. In other words, avoid evil and temptation. And awake and arise from the dust, O Jerusalem, yea, and put on thy beautiful garments, O daughter of Zion. And strengthen thy stakes, and enlarge thy borders forever, that thou mayest no more be confounded. That the covenants of the Eternal Father, which he hath made unto thee, O house of Israel, may be fulfilled. And here we have uh, Moroni using Isaiah as a final witness here to the Book of Mormon. Remember that uh, Nephi used Jacob and uh, Isaiah at the beginning of the Book of Mormon as, a, as three witnesses. And here Mor Moroni and Mormon and Isaiah are going to conclude as three additional witnesses to the Book of Mormon. <clears throat> Verse 32, Yea, come unto Christ and be perfected in him. Stephen Robinson uh, has described the process as follows. Perfection comes through the atonement of Christ. We become one with him with a perfect being. And as we become one, there is a merger. Some of my students are studying business, and they understand it better if I talk in business terms. You take a small bankrupt firm that's about ready to go under and merge it with a corporate giant. What happens? Their assets and liabilities flow together, and the new entity that is created is solvent. Spiritually, this is what happens when we enter into the covenant relationship with our Savior. We have liabilities. We ha he has assets. He proposes to us a covenant relationship. I use the word propose on purpose because it is a marriage of a spiritual sort that is being proposed. That is why he is called the bridegroom. This covenant relationship is so in intimate that it can be described as a marriage. I become one with Christ and as partners we work together for my salvation and my exaltation. My liabilities and his assets flow into each other. I do all that I can and he does what I cannot yet do. The two of us together are perfect. So adding to Brother Robinson here, if, if my liabilities are finite, but God's assets or Jesus' assets are infinite, then anything that I add to his infinite assets are still going to be infinite. And so as we, as we become perfect in Christ, uh, that's how we can become perfect is because of his atoning sacrifice, which covers us. And deny yourselves of all ungodliness. And if ye shall deny yourselves of all ungodliness and love God with all your might, mind and strength, then is his grace sufficient for you that by his grace ye may be perfect in Christ, and if by the grace of God ye are perfect in Christ, ye can in no wise deny the power of God. Notice that when perfection is mentioned, it is to be perfect in Christ. We cannot do it alone. It is only done with Christ's atonement. And again, if ye by the grace of God are perfect in Christ, and deny not his power, then are ye sanctified in Christ by the grace of God, through the shedding of the blood of Christ, which is in the, in the covenant of the Father, unto the remission of your sins, that ye become holy without spot. And now I bid unto all farewell, I soon go to the rest in the paradise of God, until my spirit and body shall again reunite, and I am brought forth triumphant through the air to meet you before the pleasing bar of God of the great Jehovah and eternal judge of both quick and dead. Amen. 
Let's hope that for us, the judgment experience will be pleasing to us like it was for Moroni. Elder Holland said, thus the Book of Mormon ends, flying as it were with Moroni on the promise of the Holy Resurrection. That is most fitting for this sacred testament written by prophets, delivered by angels, protected by God, speaks as one crying from the dead, exhorting all to come unto Christ and be perfected in him, a process culminating in the perfection of celestial glory. In anticipation of that triumphant hour, God has set his hand for the last time to gather Jew, Gentile, Lamanite, and all the house of Israel. The Book of Mormon is his new covenant, memorializing the, that grand latter-day endeavor. All who receive it and embrace the principles and ordinances it declares will one day see the Savior as he is, and they will be like him. They will be sanctified and redeemed through the grace of his innocent blood. They will be purified even as he is pure. They will be holy and without spot. They will be called the children of Christ. I bear testimony that these things are true, uh, that the Book of Mormon is true, and I bear that testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The End